Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Sure. I'll just shed a little light by pulling out of, of what she said, what I think is the most important. And that is that over the course of my career, three areas of expertise have, have dominated what I've done, creativity, entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial thinking and leadership. And the reason I call myself an innovation advisor is because, you know, those are three things that all of us admire in some way, creativity, the ability to think like entrepreneurs do leadership. There, each of those actually is made more powerful by the combination of the three. And so my work as an innovation ad advisor is to help leaders, help organizations see that they need all three of those things and that none of them are the domain of the few. They're actually the domain of the many and that everybody can, can play a role in that. Yeah, and I suppose when all three of them come together, that's where the magic happens, huh? Absolutely. I mean, if you just you know, take anyone too, it's pretty hard to be an entrepreneur and break new ground if you haven't practiced using your creative capacity. And similarly, if you're only the kind of person who breaks new ground as the entrepreneur and you never learn to lead, then the chances are that whatever value you create isn't going to last very long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so there has to be a combination of all three team listeners as I'm talking about this, because together, as I said before, it's powerful. It's magic. Larry's saying it is powerful. And it's a great thing to, for all of us to work at. Larry, is, what happens if, do you have to be born with all those three different aspects or is it something you need to work on to develop as a leader? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll, I'll pull two of them out to answer your question, creativity and leadership. Mm -hmm. These are, it's, it's really interesting, Dennis. These are human capacities. Ah. Every one of us has a capacity for, we're born with it. It's, it's, it's standard factory issued equipment for creativity and for leadership. What makes us think that we don't, that only some are born this way or some can be the leader or be the innovator is simply that we define things like creativity based on their outputs, right? So we look at a, a beautiful painting or a social movement or a score of music or whatever it might be. And we think that's creativity. That's not creativity. Creativity is the starting point, not the end point. So really the world is made up of the few people who know that we're all creative and practice that, know that we all lead in some way and practice that, and the rest of us who are kind of wrongly told we're not, and so we're out of practice. Yeah, okay, cool. So that's that's anything too, team. Uh, listeners, when you're going to the gym, if you're not out there developing the muscle and growing it and, and using it, it's, it's not going to be used at all, and we tend to forget things. Uh, well, when do people tend to be more creative? Is there a special time for that to happen? Is there a special environment for them to, to be more creative or is it all the time? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. And so every now and then people come out, say writers, for instance, and they say, oh, it's always best to write in the morning, <laughs> right? And then the next writer says, oh, it's always best to write in the afternoon or something like that. So no, there's no particular time. But the second thing you pointed out is really astute. There are particular environments where people are more creative. And this is really simple. It's environments where they're allowed to be so, where they're encouraged to be so. So think of a business because, you know, think of leaders in business. To the extent that we allow our entire team or our entire culture to think creatively without penalties and and, and allowing for a hefty amount of experimentation. The data is off the charts proving that we are going to build more adaptable, more resilient, more versatile organizations. And that innovation, rather than being thought of as problem solving, is something that will kind of be in the, in the tea, in the cup all the time. It, it's, it's there, yes, to solve problems. It's also there to see opportunities. And frankly, it's a great way to be tuned in with what our assumptions are in any one moment so that if they need to adjust, we can adjust them. So the environment has everything to do with it. Ah, oh, wonderful. And, and Larry, I really like, you mentioned a couple of times and when you were just sharing us with that, that information just then, the word allow. Mm. To, I mean, I define with a lot of people, leaders and executives I work with around the world, whereby sometimes they don't, they don't give themselves the permission or they're waiting for someone to give them permission around that. And I think, is that where you're getting at in relation to allowing themselves to be creative? Yeah, very much so. And, and, and it applies not just to those who are designated the leaders, but to those they lead. So, you know, in the broadest sense, I was talking about leaders have this fear that if they allow people to think creatively, to experiment, it, importantly, to question, mm -hmm. that somehow all hell is going to break loose. And like I said, especially when times are uncertain or changing constantly, the data is off the charts the other way to say right. that locking down actually creates a more restrictive ability to adapt in any particular circumstance. But this is really interesting to, to really pick up on your thought there. Leaders think this way about themselves. They think that they are supposed to play some kind of heroic role, mm. always have the answer, always know what direction to go always deliver a positive rather than a negative. And so leaders locking themselves into that kind of thinking rather than being open and really at the core of creativity is openness. That's what really makes them more successful over the long term. So it's a lesson for leaders and not just for the people they lead. Yeah. Hey, leaders, others, be vulnerable with it, with the creativity side. Open yourself up, as Larry's saying. I think it's, it's, that's really cool. It's some real fascinating stuff that you're sharing here, Larry, for sure. So you've written some books and one of them is uh, Rebel Leadership. And how did you get into leadership? Well, I, so I listened to quite a few of your episodes and I would say that I come at the answer to that a bit differently than some of your guests because I've been in both angles of leadership, the more traditional roles, playing a leadership role in different organizations as a founder, as a member of startup teams and otherwise. But I've also been in this position of advising leaders guiding them, researching leadership and, and where it's effective, especially when leaders are under pressure. So that's in my role as an advisor, but also as a board member and investor in, in different organizations and in my writing roles. And so it's that combination of things that, that has always had me realize that you need to take a 360 degree view of leadership. And I feel like I've experienced that by being in those various roles, but I also feel that my mission professionally in life has 
become to remind people that they can't just see it from one perspective, you know, from the top down or the bottom up, or even from the outside looking in, you've got to look at leadership in that broader 360 degree view. If you want to understand how to effectively lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, good points, because I think the 360 degree assessment or view, as you say, is very important. We can catch ourselves out, we'll be caught out if we don't actually take that 360 degree view. And I think uh, what you're saying there, Larry, is that for a lot of leaders, when their back's up against the wall, in other words, there's a lot of pressure, crisis, things going on for them. There's like this other person comes out of the of, out, out and goes, da-da, and everyone goes, yeah. whoa, where was, where was that person? And it may not always be a good thing. And I think I, I like what you're saying is a 360 degree view of leadership is really, really important. Yeah. And I'll add one thing to that. There's an HR approach, a human resources approach called the 360 degree review. Mm. That is not what I'm talking about here. So that's a tactic that says, gee, let's look every now and then at the end of a quarter, at the end of a, a year, and let's take this 360 degree temperature reading of how I'm doing as a leader or how every member of the team is doing. I'm talking about living this. I'm talking about having that 360 degree view every single day of the year, not just of yourself, not just inbound people critiquing you and, and, and saying positive and negative or whatever. No, it's thinking in 360 degrees what leadership really means. And what leadership really means is not this big equal sign between the leader and leadership. Leadership is something bigger and it encompasses the whole organization. That's where the 360 comes from. Wow. Hey, listeners, it's not a tick in the box that we're talking about here. It is actually bring it to life and actually, as Larry's saying, living it and being their leader. But it's the way we think about things. It's the way we look at things. It's the way we do things. It's everything. It's the whole package rather than just a tick in the box because it's a review time and um, and that's where a lot of people do that, right? So yeah, it's really quite interesting. Well, it's slightly eclectic, but let's start with the, the simple part. So before Parliament, actually, I used to work for Southern Cross uh, Health Society, so that's your health insurance, and my wasn't the salesman. My role was to negotiate all the contracts with the various doctors, specialists, and hospitals across the, the country. So contract relations, negotiations has been a big part of my background. In the private sector before Parliament, I was in the public sector before that, used to do the negotiation for the Ministry of Social Development on their social programs. And then the slightly quirky part of my background then is as I spent my 20s training as a, a Catholic priest. So I suspect this might be the, the first ex-seminarian you've had on your podcast. I don't know, but I spent nine years yeah, training as a priest, and that came with a whole lot of different experiences too. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And tell me, the, the transition between being a priest or becoming a priest into the public sector, then into the private sector, and now back into the public sector. What have those transitions been like for you? Not, not as difficult as you might think, and that's not to presume your own thinking, but uh, it wasn't too difficult. I mean, particularly moving from trainee priest life to politicians, probably easier than people realize. To be completely blunt, church politics is far more brutal than it is in parliamentary politics. But also, I suppose, in those, those years of seminary training, you're, you're being trained for leadership, for responsibility. So that translated quite well into to parliament. And I suppose in my public and then uh, private roles, the fact that I had to be engaging and talking and understand people, those are some good transferable skills there too. Yeah, cool. And, and is that how you got into leadership? Yeah, well, I, I think, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd, 
If my family were here, they would tell you that right from a young age, I've always been an opinionated something. Yeah, very opinionated. So even in my school days was um, always getting involved in things. But I suppose that training in the 20s particularly helped me, if you will, hone some leadership because that's what you've been formed up to be. And people look to you to, to lead in different ways. Eventually it wasn't for me, partly because actually I wanted to get into to politics, wanted to get into parliament and for whatever reason, which I'm grateful for, I managed to achieve that. Yeah, wonderful. And tell me, you know, even from when you were a kid and that wanting to get involved in things, I mean, I think that's quite important for leaders to put their hand up and, and, and step forward and do things. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Should they be putting their hand up more often? Should they be stepping up to things? I think so. I mean, there's, there's always going to be different forms of leadership, but in general terms, I, I think you do have to, to lead and lead by example and lead from the front. I mean, the historian in me doesn't particularly like part of that when you think about all the officers leading from the front in various battles and first to be shot. But I think actually there's a real, there's a real place for, for leadership by example. And it's certainly something I've tried to, to follow in my journey across various roles in leadership. Okay, cool. And you've talked about the historian side of you. And so here's my next question to you. And that is, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person can be alive or can be from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? And that's why I always hate this question. But look, the one that's been on my mind of late, actually, um, he's dead, William Wilberforce, actually. Um, probably most well-known because of his um, anti-slavery work. And I suppose that's, that's part of what inspires me. But he was also the first to work for animal welfare, prison reform, which I'm slightly, um, having been a prison chaplain, sort of grateful for that. So he's, he's someone who did a remarkable array of things in themselves. But I think what stands out for me with Wilberforce was his just utter determination. He just didn't give up. And I love that about him. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important trait for a lot of us in life today is don't give up. And I think that's, that's really, really important. And interesting how you mentioned him because Wilberforce is a street that I grew up in, in Wilberforce Street in Wellington, actually. I grew up in that street. And yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned his name for sure. And it's the determination and not giving up with things is really important for us. And for a lot of people, it's just easy to roll over and just give up. Yep. I think that's one trait that a lot of leaders need to, need to have today. What's one thing or two things that you think that leaders probably need to have to be able to have, have that determination, that grit, that do not give up? What, what do you think they should do? I think a big part of it, oh, I've certainly found in the political realm, you've got to understand what you stand for and why. So right. if you're going to be in a position of leadership trying to guide, if you're going to be leading a team, if you've got a vision for your sales targets, or in my case, you know, policy in parliament, you as the leader have to understand what you're asking for at such a level that you can easily and readily articulate it to people. I suppose it comes from another part of my academic background that if you can't explain an idea to someone quickly and simply, you yourself don't understand it. So yeah, leaders knowing what they think and importantly, knowing then why. Lots of people will be very emotive and expressive of what they believe, but when you press them for why, what, why is it? That's often I find lacking. So I think that's a critical element in leadership. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, I think that's, that's beautiful what you just said there because on the surface, it sounds good or it's the emotional side of things. But as you scrape that surface or dive, dive a little bit deeper, there's nothing there or it's just, just, it's just not happening. So I think you're right. I mean, a lot of leaders do need to actually understand that why. And in particular, when things get hard or difficult for us, if we don't know the why and we don't understand, then we will give up. 
Otherwise, yep. but if we do know the why, then that's really going to help us stay on course and where we're going. Look, absolutely. It also means that you can have a proper and full conversation with people, including have very different opinions. I mean, I, again, probably not unsurprising to your listeners in politics, it's divisive, but actually some of the best and easiest conversations I've had is with opponents who equally and clearly know why they think. It makes a robust, often respectful conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good. And there's nothing worse than having leaders who don't know where they're going, don't know their why, or don't even make a decision. And I think even if they do have a decision or a why and it's opposing, that's cool. Have that conversation, have that debate, but then also listen to what the others are saying too. And hey, you might be surprised and learning something else from someone else. They'll look at exactly right. And you, you've always got to be open to learning more. I mean, this is the, the paradox or the flip side. You have to have the confidence in your opinion. You have to understand why. But in reverse, you must always be open to understanding where others are, are coming from. They can be equally as strong and as grounded as you, but mm. different. And so it's yeah. a constant engagement, learning. And I think that is an important part of leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.